Okay, the notes will go around for the handout for this morning. Brian, you don't need that because I've given you the enlarged version earlier already. Yeah. Uh, you, you should have your notes because I've given you first uh, your enlarged print to help you to read. Well, good morning to all of you and uh, it's good to be back again and it's good to see you all here today. So uh, what we're going to do is that we're going to continue with our study uh, on the, the, the principle of agape love. Uh, in our last sermon, if you remember, that uh, we have looked at the, the way that the Lord worked in the Old Testament, especially the, how He planted the seed of agape love, the principle of agape love, through the two great commandments. Isn't it? Remember the two great commandments? Love God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So those, those, these are the two uh, great commandments in Moses' law that we have seen through our study that uh, these two great commandments actually form the roots uh, you know, and the, or the foundation of, 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 of uh, the, 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 uh, the, the spirituality of the nation of Israel, from which the, the roots that you, you grew the trunk, like the tree, you know, the, the trunk itself, uh, where we have seen in the Old Testament, the, the principle of holiness. From love springs holiness. And then from holiness, Moses' law has these various branches of all the other rules and regulations that, that, that came along, where the rules and regulations were there to guide and educate Israel on how that they could love the Lord and to love one another and to worship Him and serve Him acceptably. So we, we have seen also that in our previous sermons before that uh, Moses' law was not actually about strict legal rules and regulations which many people seem to think uh, and believe that uh, Moses' law was, law basically was just uh, strict rules and regulations. We have seen basically that in the previous study that uh, God has actually uh, you know, adapted the uh, through very flexible principles of Moses' law to guide Israel through the principles which started from the principles of love as the foundation which sprung up the principles of holiness from there then the rest of the rules and regulations follow from there. So the principles, the guiding principles were to be, uh, in Moses' law were to be the, the tutor to guide Israel when they were spiritually immature uh, after they left Egypt to, to teach them about God, to teach them how to live with in the presence of God and to live with one another and with others. So the, the principles were there to guide them to grow spiritually until Christ came into the world. So that's what Paul talks about in Galatians, that the law was the tutor to Israel to actually to lead them to Christ. So today what we're going to do is that we're going to look at uh, these two root principles of the great commandments in Moses' law and how that these two principles which started in Moses' law in the Old Testament would cross over into the New Testament how it crosses over there. And this is where the, I think that we, uh, it's, it's very interesting, uh, interesting to think about this. As I've said earlier before as well, that there's this general view and perception that Moses' law was Old Testament. You know, and Jesus, as we call Christ's law, was New Testament. It's New Testament. And uh, there, there, there is a perception that uh, the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, our Lord's Sermon on the Mount, was about the new law of Christ as opposed to the law of Moses. You know, that there, there is this perception of, 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 of this view itself. And it's because of this view that they think that when Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, he was actually comparing his own law with, the, with, with Moses' law itself. And that comparison or contrast can be seen in the phrase that Jesus often used, where he said that, but I say to you, so that, that, that that's the that is the, 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 the phrase that, that there are some the brethren who, who see that see that way as well, as the indication of Christ teaching his law, the law of Christ, as opposed to Moses' law in the Sermon of the Mount. 
A good example of it is again, you can see where this phrase, I say unto you, is found in Matthew 5, where Jesus said this, uh, in verses 43 to 45, where Jesus said that you have, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, you see, but I say to you, that's the phrase, the indication that as some brethren seem to think that that was the law of Christ. He said that love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So there are people who take this as Jesus contrasting Moses' law, which is to love your neighbor and hate your enemy, as opposed to Christ's law, which is to love your enemy. So, but then that begs the question, we need to ask ourselves the question that, did Jesus really teach contrary to Moses' law? Did he really oppose Moses' law in the Sermon on the Mount? So let's think about this, this thought here. In order to answer that question itself, we, 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 we can take our indication from Jesus himself. In the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.17, that Jesus in Matthew 5.17, he tells us of his primary purpose for his mission on earth. Why did he come on earth? This is one of his primary missions there. In Matthew 5.17, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. So what Jesus was saying is that it wasn't his mission to come and destroy, or in other words, to discredit Moses' law or the prophets. But he said that, but rather I come to fulfill them. Okay, then that begs the question, the further question is that, what does he mean by to fulfill? So people generally take this word to fulfill, to, to refer to Jesus coming in to fulfilled all the messianic prophecies about him. You know, that's, word, that's, that's how that, uh, people generally think that uh, this is what Jesus meant. I come to fulfill all the prophecies about me. But then that begs another further question, is that, is that all that he, was, he has come to do? Was simply to fulfill uh, the, the prophecies about the Messiah? So this is where we need to look at the meaning of the word fulfill. What does it, what the, what does, what does it mean by to fulfill? The word fulfill comes from this Greek word there, pleru. Robertson, the Greek scholar, tells us the word pleru means fulfill is to fill full. Yeah? That means you like, for example, top up a glass to, the, to, to fill it to the, to the brim. Fill full. And then Robertson continued, he said that this Jesus did to the ceremonial law which pointed to him and the moral law he kept. He came to fill the law to reveal the full depth of meaning that it was intended to hold. He quoted from McNeil. So Barnes, the commentator, also added, he said that the, the word basically it means to complete the design. That's a different way of looking at it. To complete the design, to fill up what was predicted, yeah, that is the fulfillment of prophecies, to accomplish what was intended in them. And then, but Barnes added this, he said that the word fulfill also means sometimes to teach, to inculcate. Yeah, quoting from Colossians uh, 1.25, for example. So what this means is that when you look at the word fulfill, it has got two different shades of meanings there. So this means that when Jesus said, I come to fulfill, he, he, he could mean that he came to reveal the full depth of the intended meaning of Moses' law, which is what Robertson suggested in his, in his uh, meaning. 
or that he could mean that he has come to complete that which has been designed, as Barnes tells us, which included teaching the law. So generally, people take the word fulfill means he came just to fulfill, uh, you know, to, co- uh, to, to complete or to accomplish what has been prophesied about him. And that's what he was all about. But again, when we look at how the Greek scholars tell us, as far as this meaning is concerned, it could also include the notion of teaching. You see? That means to fully teach something. And this is where this meaning is often overlooked in, in, the, in, in, the, in the meaning of this word itself. A great example of this same Greek word, Peru, has been used by Paul, is found in Romans 15, 19, where Paul writes that he says, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and, ar- and round about in Ecclerum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So that is the word there, fully preached, comes from the same Greek word, to fulfill. So in other words, that Paul was basically saying that I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. That means that I have come and fully taught the design and aims of the gospel in Jerusalem and in Calirum. So from this example of the use of this word in Romans 15, it tells us that the word itself has got various shades of meaning. But it comes from the very root meaning, the, the basic meaning means to fill up fully something, like you top up a glass of water to fill up. That's the basic meaning itself. So, and then from there you get the metaphors. In other words, to comply fully, it could also include teaching or to reveal the meaning fully. So, now you have got two shades of meanings, possible meanings that we have now gleaned from the meaning of this word itself. So, which meaning should we apply to Matthew 5.17, when Jesus said, I have come to fulfill, in other words, fulfill the law and the prophets. So, in order to, to actually to ascertain the meaning that I think that Jesus intended to do, uh, to, to have, in this, then we have to look at the context of the Sermon of the Mount. But if you have read the Sermon of the Mount, you, you will have noticed that after Jesus said this, that I do not suppose that I come to destroy the law or the prophets, I come not to fu- destroy but to fulfill. And then after that, when you read on in the Sermon of the Mount, you will find that Jesus actually continued, isn't it? Or he proceeded with a whole series of teachings in the Sermon. So this is actually a strong indicator for us that when Jesus said that I have come to fulfill the law or the prophets, his intention of the word fulfill was to mean that he has come to teach fully or to, to, to fully fill up the teachings of the true meaning of Moses' law and the prophets. It was just not about him coming to complete the messianic prophecies uh, as, as, uh, as uh, people seem to think. So the key to the context in this thinking is this. We need to always bear in mind that the mission of Jesus to come and fulfill the law and the prophets of course includes the fulfillment of the prophecies, but that also does not exclude the teachings of the law and the prophets in its true meaning and glory. Yeah. So let us not miss that point. That's the key to the context itself. So whenever we read in the Gospel accounts, where we find Jesus discussing Moses' law, you know, yeah, Sabbath or healing on the Sabbath, anything like that to do with Moses' law, always remember this point. 
that the aim of Jesus, when he discussed Moses' law, was to fully reveal and teach its meaning, its real meaning, uh, in, you know, in, uh, in, uh, that God has intended there. So that's, that's something we always, always bear in mind when we read the Gospel accounts. So if you think about this, if Jesus came to criticize Moses' law and then try to replace Moses' law with his own law, as they call the law of Christ, of the New Testament, wouldn't he be discrediting Moses? Wouldn't he be discrediting Moses? In other words, he would be saying that Moses was wrong. And I'm telling you what is right. But we know that Moses came from the Lord, the, God, the Lord God Almighty himself at Mount Sinai. So it means that Jesus would be pointing to, to, to the Jews that actually God was wrong. And if he called himself the Son of God, the Messiah, he would be discrediting himself in the process if you think about this. But what, what is interesting is this, that when, you read, when we read the Gospel accounts, we do not actually find the Jews in his days accusing Jesus of teaching anything that was contrary to Moses' law, isn't it? They never, they never criticized him for that. They did that with Paul, falsely did that with Paul. Remember when Paul talks about circumcision as being nothing? They accuse him of teaching contrary to the law. But they never say that of Jesus. So that tells us something interesting about, you know, about the teachings of Jesus when he talks about fulfilling the law and the prophets. But on the other hand, if you think about this, in the, in the context of the Sermon of the Mount, that if Jesus was merely criticizing the self-man-made uh, the man-made self-righteous traditions of the elders which the scribes and the Pharisees were teaching, you know, and we know that those traditions of the elders, they were actually for the, the faulty interpretations of Moses' law. They interpreted Moses' law wrongly. And then Jesus sought <coughs> to provide a correct interpretation of Moses' law and how it should be applied. Would he not be fulfilling the law and the prophets? He will be teaching the actual correct meaning of the law whilst criticizing the traditions of the elders. To me, this makes more sense. It makes more sense after the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus came to provide the divine authority on how Moses' law was to be actually understood and applied, which is the principles of Moses' law, which Jesus taught that God wanted Israel to understand and practice the principles, you see. But the tradition of the elders were focusing on the nitty-gritty legalistic meaning of, the, of, of, the, of the, the words of the law itself, you see. And this is one of the reasons why, if you think about this, why that the Jewish leaders hated Jesus so much. Because here you are, the scratch, the leaders trying to promote the tradition of the elders, and then here comes Jesus, saying that the elders' traditions were all wrong, they are not correct interpretation of Moses' law, and this is how Moses' law is to be applied, which is contrary to what the traditions are saying, that means that the, the Jewish leaders will be losing faith. And that's one of the reasons why that, you know, that the Jewish leaders wanted to trap Jesus in his words all the time. They want to test him all the time. So in other words, when Jesus talked about the sermon, in the Sermon of the Mount, the principles of Moses' law, in his true meaning and glory, he was actually upholding the prominence and importance of, the, of Moses' law. He wasn't destroying it. He was actually giving it the, the due glory that it deserved, which the tradition of the elders actually blasphemed against it. 
We know that this is, the, this is how Jesus looked at Moses' law. And the importance of Moses' law as being upheld by Jesus, and proof of this can be seen in Mark 12. For example, that we discussed, okay, we look at Mark 12 on, on the, great com- the, the great commandments again. Mark 12, verses 33 to 34, where Jesus said this, And to love him, now this was, a, this was an answer from the scribe, a, a scribe who asked Jesus about the greatest commands uh, in, in Moses' law. The scribe said this, in response to Jesus asking him, what do you think? And this is what the scribe said. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the soul and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as one's self is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, I mean, that was a correct answer, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. So you, if you notice how Jesus actually commanded this scribe, this scribe was right. He had a deeper understanding of God's design in Moses' law, in the, in the, great, in, in the great commandments there, where he said that the great commandments are even greater than the sacrifices, the sacrificial system, and all the, all the offerings that you can do, which the traditional elders are all focusing on those, those, those bits there. This scribe was very wise, as, as, as Luke tells, Mark tells us that he understood that it's not in the sacrifices and the burnt offerings that the law of Moses was about. It was about the principles of agape love, loving God and loving one's neighbor as himself. And Jesus commanded him for that. Why did Jesus command him for that? I think the answer is simply because the scribe was right. He was spot on about the prominence and the importance of the principles of love under Moses' law. Luke also tells us of another interesting account in Luke 10, uh, starting from verse 25 to verse 28, where the account goes like that. It says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him. This lawyer was testing Jesus, again testing on Moses' law. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. So this is a different conversation with another learned scribe on the law of Moses. Again, that the discussion surrounded the great commandments. And Jesus said to to the scribe who asked him, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And the answer of Jesus was what? The way to eternal life under Moses' law was actually based on the principles of the great commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. Very interesting. Very interesting thinking that you could actually gain eternal life through Moses' law for the Jews. Where the focus, you know, a lot of the Jews are focusing on the sacrificial system, burnt offerings. But Jesus said, no, that's not the way to eternal life. The way to eternal life is the principles of love. That's the root, the root of Moses' law. So Jesus said that he was, the, this, this guy was right, do this and you will live. So was Jesus lying to the scribe about inheriting eternal life by applying the great commandments of Moses' law? Was he lying about this? Well, we know that Jesus never lied. So he was being truthful. Which means that a Jew under Moses' law then could be saved under Moses' law. Yeah? He, they could find in, in, in eternal life there. And this actually confirms for us is that what we have learned so far about agape love in the Old Testament, which is that the agape love was, is the principles 
the, of the root of Moses' law, that any faithful Jew who would love God with all his heart, with all his mind, all his strength, and would love his neighbor as himself, and do his best to live a godly life under Moses' law by faith, they're talking about by faith, yeah? not by the law, living by the law, but by faith, he would inherit eternal life in Christ. You see? He could still inherit eternal life in Christ. Paul has been talking about this in the book of Romans, isn't it? The doctrine of justification by faith, you know, is the way to salvation. So under the law of Moses, it's the same, you see? The law, the principles of love is where the principles of faith lies, not in the letter of the law itself, which the Jews are focusing on. So this is where that we find the same foundational teaching of Jesus on the, great, on the great commandments of Moses' law. And we see this teaching crossing over in the New Testament from here. And is applicable to the church today as well. And the crossover from Moses' law onto the New Testament for the church today, in terms of the great commandments of Moses, can be seen in, the, in our beloved parable of the, the Good Samaritan. We all know the story of the Good Samaritan. That's in Luke 10. You know, the, the par- this parable is accepted by the church, by the Lord's church today as a parable that is applicable to us today. You know, it is New Testament teaching as well for the church. But let's not overlook the fact that this New Testament teaching was also based on Moses' law. You see, this is how you see the crossover from Moses' law into the New Testament. And we know, the, we know the story there where the lawyer was asking Jesus about the great commandment. And then Jesus said that, well, what do you think? And what's your reading of it? He said, yes, love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus said, yeah, do this and you will live. And then in Luke 10 verse 29, the lawyer said that wanting to justify himself, he said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? This becomes interesting when you see the application of the principles of Moses' law coming in, into play. So Jesus used this question, who is my neighbor, as his launching pad into the parable of the Great Samaritan, which we are not going to read. We are all familiar with the story. Remember, the Great, the Great Samaritan was based on the Great Commandments of Moses' law. And now Jesus will exemplify the, the principles of the Great Commandments, you know, especially the Second Commandment, to love God, I mean, to love the neighbor as oneself. And then he tells the story of the parable. And in Luke 10, 36, that Jesus concluded that at the end of it, of the parable, Jesus said this to the, to the, to the, to the scribe. He said, in verse 36 of Luke 10, So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell amongst the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Jesus says, said to him, Go and do likewise. So when Jesus said to the scribe, Go and do likewise, that means that to love your enemies as well, who is your neighbor, Jesus was actually affirming Moses' law. Again, that under Moses' law, the way to eternal life is by obeying the great commandments of loving, amongst other things, your neighbor as yourself. And that includes loving your enemy. Loving your enemy is a concept that is consistent with the Sermon on the Mount. We know that. We read in the beginning, it's in Matthew 5. But I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate us and to those who are spiteful against us. That was found in Matthew 5, 43 to 44. And again, you see that Doing good to one's enemies, according to Jesus, they are, also accom- they are also according to the principles of the great commandments of Moses' law. And Jesus came to fulfill it by teaching Moses' law in its true meaning and glory. 
The Jews hated the non-Jews, yeah? Remember that in the New Testament? They hated the Gentiles because the tradition of the elders taught them to hate their enemies. Yeah, I've heard has been said, oh, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. That was, where that, 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 that was the fruit of those teachings. The mentality is that any non-Jew, any Gentile, you are hated because you are enemy. Because that to them, they think that Moses' law taught that, that they, they, they were supposed to hate the enemies. But did Moses' law and the prophets actually teach Israel to hate, to love their enemies, as Jesus says? You see, this is where it becomes interesting, you see? So if we can ascertain that Moses' law actually taught the Jews to love their enemies, then this teaching is not new. It's simply, basically, it's not understood. it wasn't understood by the Jews, which Jesus actually highlighted to them. Now this is where we're going to do, a, do, a, do an adventurous uh, investigation to that. Let's think about this. We know that Leviticus 19 verse 8 is the passage that taught the second great commandment of loving one's neighbor as loving, loving the neighbor as oneself. The commandment basically said, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, that was an explicit statement from the law of Moses. But that statement does not Im- implicitly teach a Hebrew to hate his enemy. It doesn't say that. It simply says, love your neighbor as yourself. So the idea of hating your enemies was actually a perversion, as I say, of the tradition of the elders. You see, that's why the Jews in Jesus' days would have no dealings with the, with the, with the Gentiles. Because they saw them as the dirt of the earth, their enemies, their dogs, as you would call them. And we know this was the kind of mentality that the Jews had. Even the Apostle Peter tells us this in Acts 10. When he went to the house of Cornelius, where Peter, Peter stated the fact of life, you know, that he said in Acts 10 verse 28, where he said, you know, he said to Cornelius, he said, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. And Peter said, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So Peter reflected that sad fact of life amongst the Jewish people that they would not deal with anyone from another nation. That was unlawful for them to do that. So here we are, we have Jesus saying, Moses' law actually teaches that you ought to love your neighbor as yourself, and that includes enemy, which is from the parable of the the Good Samaritan. And Peter tells us, yes, the Jews see it as unlawful for a Jew to mingle with, uh, with the Gentiles, but actually, Moses' law actually did not teach a Jew to hate one's enemy. It actually taught the Jews to love their enemies. How do we know that? That is actually within the context of the second great commandment that's found in Leviticus 19. We know Leviticus 19 verse 18 is the text of the second great commandment to love one's neighbor, one neighbor as himself. But if you read from the context itself, you find the, the principle behind it telling you that you ought to love your enemy as well as, as, a, as a Jew. Leviticus 19 verse 9. Yeah, we start at verse 9 first. Where Moses' law said this. He said that, When you reap the harvest of your land, you, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor, your, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard, you shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord. And then you go down further to verse 33 of the same chapter. That Moses continued that he said, And if a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. 
The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So this, is, this, this pertains to the law of gleaning. You know, when, when Israel harvested their land during harvest time. The law of gleaning is that you don't harvest everything. You leave the corners out for the widows, the, you know, including the strangers. That's to, sh- that to say that Moses' law required a, a wealthy Hebrew who has land to harvest to show kindness also to the stranger. And Moses said that you shall love him as yourself. Does that sound familiar to you? Love him as yourself? Earlier on, you, uh, Moses said that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You love him as yourself. So what it means is implied in, in that itself is that within the context of the second great commandment is that Moses' law actually taught that the neighbor included the stranger. Then that begs the question for us is that who is this stranger? Isn't it? So the word stranger is interesting. When you read the commentaries, commentators tell you different stories. Some commentators say that, well, the stranger was somebody who was proselyte to the Israelite faith. You know, that means that they were Gentiles, but then they became followers of Yahweh, and therefore that, that, you know, that they, 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 were, they were strangers. But what's interesting, in my own research, I found that there is a passage in 2 Samuel 1, verse 13. Yeah, uh, this is what the passage says in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 13. Then David said to the young man who told him, Where are you from? And he answered, I am the son of an alien, an Amalekite. The word alien comes from the same Hebrew word translated as stranger in Leviticus 19. So this means that a stranger who was to be a Jew's neighbor, according to the second great commandment, included in the days of Israel an Amalekite. We know an Amalekite, who the Amalekite was, isn't it? An Amalekite was an enemy of Israel. So here you have the Bible using the same word translated as stranger to, to refer to an Amalekite, an enemy of Israel. A stranger whom Moses said that you shall love him as yourself, which, is, which sounds just like the second great commandment, who is your neighbor. So Moses' law actually taught by principle, that Israel was to love their, neighbor, their neighbor as themselves, which included an enemy. And do we find an example of the application of this law in the Old Testament? The answer is yes. Remember Elisha, the prophet? Elisha healing Naaman or leprosy? Who was Naaman? Naaman was a Syrian. At that time, the Syrians were the arch enemies of the kingdom of Israel. And here that, you know, that Naaman came along and, Eli- and Elisha said to the king of Israel, I will, I will heal him. So you see an application by Elisha the prophet. The law and the prophets applied those principles. So when Jesus said that a Jew is to love his enemy, that this is not something that was new, which a lot of people seem to think. It was simply that Jesus pointing out the principles of Moses' law whilst rejecting the traditions of the elders, which thought that uh, they should hate their enemies. But you see that the, 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 the root principle of love of the second great command, to love 
one's enemy as himself was, was not only taught in the law of Moses. The book of Proverbs teaches that as well. Proverbs 25, verse 20, verses 21 to 22. You know, Proverbs 25, 21 say this. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. So this proverb was, is very explicit in how an, a Hebrew is, is to help his helpless enemy. To help the helpless enemy is to love him in the agape way. You know, help him in his hour of need. Not to hate him, but to love him. The Jews in Jesus' days hated the non-Jews. It's because of the influence of the tradition of the elders. Who, who, who taught them to see any non-Jew as their enemy. And that's why the Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount had to correct this proper thinking as well as in the parable of the Good Samaritan to correct the thinking. No, you do not hate your enemy. Moses' law teaches that you love your enemy. And then he used the parable of the Good Samaritan to illustrate that point itself. This is where the crossover from Moses' law onto the New Testament can be seen. And there's, there's another area that which is interesting as well that you see the extension of the principles of the second great commandment into one interesting aspect of the law of Moses which I mentioned earlier in the Bible class. The law of tithing. People talk about tithing all the time. What is tithing? So this is something that becomes interesting. I thought I want to add on to the notes itself to, to, to share with you. Yeah. You see how Jesus applied the principles of the, of the second great command or rather the, both the principles of the, second, the, the two great commandments there of Moses. Matthew 23, Matthew 23, 23, yeah, it starts from there, where Jesus says this. He said that, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. This you ought to have done without leaving anything undone. So today, when you come and collect the, the cumin and the anise powder <laughs> over here, if you want to take, uh, don't bother to look at the weight or count the number of grains in there. <laughs> you <just> take it. <laughs> so, yeah, so when you look at Jesus, here in this text, Jesus condemned the scribes and the Pharisees, isn't it? They were so obsessed with this nitty-gritty, legalistic interpretation of Moses' law, you know, to the point that they were insisting on having the exact 10% tithe, 10 tithe, tithe into 10, uh, 10%. A tenth of their 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 their, their income. So the the, the scribes were counting the little little wheat or the little grains to make sure it's ten percent when they tithe. Where Jesus said that you you are too obsessed with the legalistic stuff, but you overlook the weightier matters of the law. This is very interesting. The weightiest matters of the law consisted of the principles of justice, mercy, and faith. Yes, we all we all know the principles of justice, mercy, and faith. They are New Testament principles that is uh, that's applicable for us today. And they, you know, some brethren will turn to this passage and say, look at these other principles we need to apply. And don't be too legalistic about things, uh, like you know, too nitty-gritty with, with uh, the unnecessary stuff. But what is, what is this weightier matters of the law? I think the interesting thing about the weightier matters of the law, which is justice, mercy, and faith, is that this, these three virtues or principles they were being discussed in the context of tithing by Jesus, isn't it? Because Jesus was talking about tithing, and he, he mentioned this, these three principles in there. And that implies that justice, mercy, and faith 
they are related to the law of tithing under Moses' law. But all the while we, we thought that tithing is just giving 10%. But no, 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 no. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Tithing is related to justice, mercy, and faith. How does it apply in Moses' law? Let's look at the, the law itself. Deuteronomy 26, verse 12, where Jesus said this. I was not Jesus, sorry. Uh, Moses said this. Deuteronomy 12, uh, 26, verse 12. Moses said that when you have finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase in the third year, this is part and parcel of tithing, yeah, the year of tithing, and have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they, have, that they may eat within your gates and be filled. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from, your, from my house, and also have given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandments which you have commanded me, and I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. So what this law actually tells us is this. The law of tithing was designed by God for the betterment of others. Where a better off Israelite, a wealthy Israelite who has got crops, who harvests crops or who has an income, would help support people like the Levites for their spiritual service at the tabernacle because the Levites have no inheritance, they have no land, so they couldn't plant plants, you know, uh, to, to basically... Uh, sorry, let me see. Yeah, to plant plants, you know, uh, and, and to have harvest crop for themselves. So the Levites relied on their brethren for support for the work they did, they did uh, at the tabernacle. And also that, that also included the stranger. We know who the stranger was. The stranger included a helpless enemy who was seeking refuge in Israel. We know who the fatherless were, the orphans and the widows. All these were the helpless people of society where the law of tithing was designed to help. You see? So for, a, for an Israelite, once he understood the principles of tithing, which is to help those in need. And Israelite will no longer feel compelled or forced into tithing. He will do it out of his heart, out of love for the Lord who commanded him to do this, and for his neighbor as he loved him as himself. So these are the two great commandments applied in the law of tithings. The 10% figure becomes irrelevant. You see? When you do things out of love, the amount no longer matters, isn't it? So that's what the, the design of the law of tithing was about. It was designed for the Israelite to tithe out of his sense of justice, the first of the weightier matters of the law. Justice meaning that he would share with those who, who had need. Out of his sense of mercy, which is an act of kindness towards the helpless in society. And out of faith, which is his trust in the Lord who has blessed him with, with an income and yield, and that he is willing to sacrifice some of them for the good of others, trusting in God to provide for him the next time around. So this is the weightier matters of the law of tidings, the principles of love in Moses' law. Not the letter of the law where it just said that to tithe 10%, which the scribes and Pharisees were all counting the 10%. You see? So when, we, when, the, when the Hebrew understood these principles of justice, mercy, and faith in the law of tithing, then he would understand that the law was actually appealing to his heart to obey him by faith, not by the letter of the law. Again, Jesus taught this 
as the original design of tithing, he was fulfilling, let me fill up fully the meaning of Moses' law. That was his earthly mission. You see? So there are weightier matters of the law which are the principles behind the law that we need to look at and ascertain and apply them. This is how, this is how it works. You see, when you talk about tithing, people often look at the 10%. They overlook the fact that the design of it, the purpose of it. And that's why there are so much problems today in the religious world arguing whether should Christians tithe 10% of the income. You miss the point if you talk about that because tithing is not about the 10%. The tithing is about justice, mercy, and faith. You see? So th- that's something that you see, how it crosses over from Moses' law onto the New Testament, those principles. So this is what we found in the Gospel accounts, a, a sampling of some of the teachings of Jesus. So as we move away from the Gospel accounts into the other parts of the New Testament, you know, we find that the Holy Spirit has continued to show this crossover from Moses' law of the Great Commandments into the, into the New Testament. Further into church territory today, we find that as well. Paul, the Apostle Paul, picked up the baton from the Lord and continued the race and, and progress on the Great Commandments of, of, of loving one's neighbor as himself. Romans 12, Romans 12 uh, verse 9, where Paul said this, he said that, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And then in verse 14, he said, bless those who persecute you. Does it sound familiar? Bless those who persecute you, sermon on the mouth. Bless and do not curse. And then verse 20 says, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. And in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, and, but overcome evil with good. Give enemy a drink. Sounds familiar? Proverbs 25, which we have read earlier. So here you'll find Paul quoting from the Sermon on the Mount on loving one's enemy, quoting from the book of Proverbs in Proverbs 25, 22 to 23, on helping an enemy, which both of these principles in the Old Testament were derived from the great commandment to love one neighbor as well himself. Again, it shows this crossover from Moses' law into church territory today in the New Testament. But that's not the end. There's, there's more from Paul in, R- in Romans 13, Romans 13, verse 8 to 10, where Paul said this. He said, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law, principle of love fulfilling the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, or are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Sound familiar? Second command. This is the second great command. And then Paul said, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So here Paul again quoted from the second great commandment. He tells us, by summarizing this commandment in, of the principles in the Ten Commandments, the final five Ten Commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, and so on. These are the last five commandments of the Ten. And he says that the last five commandments, the Ten Commandments, came from the Second Commandment. You see? Very interesting, isn't it? The root, and then you see the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is not about just the word, the, the word of the law itself. It's about the principles of love. Where Paul said, this is how the last five commandments works. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you will do no harm to your neighbor. You're not going to commit adultery with his wife. You're not going to murder him. You're not going to steal from him. You're not going to lie against him. And so on and so forth. 
So again, you see that principle being there, and Paul taught it as a matter of church principles, crossing over from Moses' law into the New Testament. Paul followed Jesus and, uh, in his teaching, and you can see it's very evident, isn't it? Fulfilling the, com- the law through the second commandment, and that is the crossover itself. But Paul was not the only one who actually understood this crossover principle. You've got the Apostle John himself, which we are going to end very shortly here. John, in 1 John, verse, chapter 3, verses 17 to 18, John writes there, he said this. He said that, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does, he, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word nor in, or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So John's example is very simple. Our willingness to share and help others in need is based on the principles of same, the weightier methods of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You see? That means you help others in need because you want to share. That's justice. You see? Mercy, you want to be kind. That's, that's mercy. Faith, you want to trust God to provide for you as you help others. These are the weightier methods of the law that came from the root principles of agape love in Moses' law, that came from the second great commandment. So in, in, in closing here, brethren, so we have seen here that how the principles of agape love of the two great commandments of Moses' law, that it has crossed, how it has crossed over into the New Testament for the church today. We share the same root principles of love today, which came from Moses' law. That if you want a final proof a more explicit proof of this crossover of the, these two great commandments. You, let us read First John 4, verses 20 to 21, and you see this clearly. You can't miss it. First John 4, 20, that John writes, he says that, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother who, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? This, and this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must also love his brother also. The two great commandments of Moses' law summarized by John. You cannot miss the crossover. You know that John is very clear. A Christian cannot claim that he loves God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, if he does not love his neighbor, that includes his brother as himself. That is the principle of Moses' law. You see? This is what makes agape love the greatest in 1 Corinthians 13 because the power of agape love is so enduring that it actually started you know it, it actually existed from both testaments the old and the new it's that's how enduring agape love is and it has achieved a lot more than anything else not even the spiritual gifts that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13 would achieve so much as they're, they're not as, as enduring as, as agape love and Paul finally said that in Ephesians 3, verse 17, that he says that, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So Paul confirmed that for us. We have already seen in our previous sermon, love is the root of Moses' law. And in the New Testament, Paul says, well, you need to be rooted in love. That means that the say, we, we, we actually deriving our source from the same root, which is from Moses' law. And that shows the crossover again for us. 
So Moses' law and the New Testament teaching, you know, about our duty to love God and love others, is simply because that God loved us first. You see, it was God who initiated His love towards us first. We know that. And hence, that's why that God is asking us and asking Israel in the Old Testament to love Him and to love one another. And that is the response of our love. Because John tells us, first John 4, 19, it? we love because He first loved us. So this shows not only the unchanging principles of love, but it also shows the unchanging love of God for us all. If, is, if there was ever any doubt in our minds that God has not changed His love for His people, this is where the Old Testament shows us. Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah 31 verse 3, where Je- Jeremiah, the Lord said this to Jeremiah, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. God is saying that His love for humanity is an everlasting love. It crosses from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It endures forever. What we have seen, yeah, what, we, what we have seen you know, uh, so far, is basically this, you see, that we are only, having, we are only, catch, we are only catching a glimpse of the love of God. When we look at the crossing over of, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the law of love, God has done this to assure us that His love will never change. His love will never change for us. Just as He loved Israel in the Old Testament through Moses' law, He loved us in Christ in the New Testament. It's based on the very same principles. Lamentation chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to end here very shortly. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 to 25. Uh, Jeremiah, in one of his lowest moments and, and his enlightening moments, he said this. He said that through the Lord's mercy we are not consumed, because His compassion fails not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good for that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So Jeremiah says, well, through the Lord's mercy, we are not consumed. Israel, the Jews were not consumed because they were not totally destroyed because God was merciful. The New American Standard Bible renders this verse, Jeremiah 3.22, as such, where it says that the Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We sing the song before, and the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. You know? So it comes from this verse here. This is, the, Brendan, this is the greatness of love. It is not only our found, spiritual foundation in Christ, it is enduring in its power, and love never fails. And God be glorified in this. Thank you.